Welcome to the first episode of 2019 for Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. With a new year comes a new set of stories to be told, and I'm so glad you've tuned in today to listen to the first of those stories. If you're new to Authentic Influence, to sum up briefly, this podcast covers a number of topics around the general subject of bringing, as the title says, authentic influence into digital marketing today. The topics we discuss cover everything from traditional ads to how advertising trends are changing to the impact versus the risk of certain types of advertising, the use of influencers, as well as, and in particular, the rise of user-generated content, which is brands taking the voices of their consumers and amplifying them to tell authentic stories. Every other week, we sit down with a thought leader or chief marketing officer and discuss one facet of this trend as together we explore how digital marketing and advertising is changing and how the consumer is becoming front and center more than ever. We have a great lineup of guests to share with you in 2019, and I can't wait to have you listen in to all the insightful stories we've been able to collect on this topic. But let's start today with the first story of all. We'll be kicking off 2019 with a conversation with Chris Davis, the Vice President of Global Marketing at New Balance, the athletic footwear and fitness apparel giant, which is using challenger tactics and finding individuality by bucking against traditional trends. I really enjoyed interviewing Chris for this because he has such an eloquent stance on a few things, using ambassadors to further the brand, advocacy and authenticity, a view on influencers, and also the inventive ways that they tap into that individuality of peers to create some of their greatest influence of all. So sit back, relax, lace up those sneakers, and enjoy our first interview of 2019, kicking it with New Balance's own Chris Davis. Okay, I'm here with Chris Davis. Chris, thanks very much for coming on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I love having you on for uh, several reasons, and you know, as it relates to building authentic influence, as it relates to being a challenger brand, which I read a little about about as well. But I need to start by saying that uh, you know those Liverpool kits look better than ever. As a as a fan of the team, uh, having New Balance as the partner there is uh, is looking sharp. So thanks for that. Absolutely. I mean, it helps that they're having a record year this year in terms of sales, but also they, they're proving it on the pitch as well. So it's it's great to see Liverpool succeeding in the Premier League this year. Yeah, absolutely is. I uh, thought to throw that in as a quick personal bit beforehand, but uh, let's get right into the to the meat and potatoes here because um, would love to pick your brain on a number of topics. And uh, per the title and the subject of this show, we're all about having conversations around uh, how to build uh, authentic influence, the certain tactics that folks out there use, uh, and and learning from the best. And you know, when it comes to uh, folks who are challenger brands, folks who are going against the norm, and folks who have strong opinions on things. I know New Balance has them. So would love to dive into uh, a first topic of questions, which is around this idea of, of building influence. Uh, most folks, especially who are involved in sports, are using those folks as you know your traditional influencers. But even beyond that, folks who are involved uh, in sports, fashion, things like that, tend to get involved as well. And it leaves me curious, for New Balance, um, what are the implications for the use of uh, traditional influencers in your messaging and branding? That's a great question. And, you know, for us, we firmly believe that our marketing needs to be a reflection of our values as a brand. And influencers as a whole, they're undoubtedly a major trend or, or tactic in the space. And for New Balance, 
you know, we've loosely flirted with using influencers in the past, but what we have found through those kind of experimental ventures is that influencers encourage advocacy to consumers. And what we're really looking for as a brand is authenticity. And for us, we believe that the thousand athletes that we have under contract as partners across the world really serve as authentic ambassadors and partners for the brand. Some of them are, are style ambassadors, some of them are performance, some are health, but we really believe in the idea of partnering with authentic brand ambassadors versus going after the overall influencer trend. That's interesting to hear you say. I'd love to dive just a little bit more into that because I would assume that using those celebrities and other athletes uh, would approach a large influencer status. And, you know, the way a lot of people think about it is to start telling stories with people with uh, more cozy audiences to provide that authentic feel. But it seems uh, that, you know, this is going against the grain a little bit, perhaps in a good way. could you explain what you mean when you say that perhaps, you know, traditional influencers, no matter how small they might be, may not be authentic as opposed to being advocates? Absolutely. And it starts with our long-term vision and our long-term approach here. I think traditionally influencers are primarily used as distribution channels because they do have a trusted audience. So they're able to communicate their, their like or dislike for certain products, brands, etc most likely to generate a commercial return. And for us, what we have found is that the knowledge uh, of consumers in regards to influencers is that consumers can't be tricked. Uh, They understand the difference between authenticity and advocacy. And instead of having a short-term based approach to drive revenue, where we would have influencers market the brands We're taking a long-term vision and ensuring that we're aligning with athletes and other artists that have authentic passions for New Balance, that represent our brand values, and want to co-author and co-create content with us versus simply marketing uh, a a piece of footwear or apparel. For us, it's about that authentic point of creation and really doing something different with the athlete and or artist that we're partnering with. And to go into that a little bit, uh, could you explain for us some uh, some of the ways that you're that you're leveraging this network of a thousand athletes to to create that authentic message? Obviously, I know about uh, many of the the New Balance uh, partners via Liverpool, but I'm curious just holistically uh, how you how you approach it. Absolutely, that's that's a great question. Whether it's an whether it's an athlete or an artist, uh, we start with the concept of co-authorization. So how can we create something cool and unique together that's going to have a stronger connection point to the, to the consumer? So maybe with someone like Francisco Lindor, a star baseball player for the Cleveland Indians, we'll co-create a cleated product with him. With someone like Jaden Smith, obviously a world-renowned artist and musician, we'll do something like a co-created apparel line, but also hold a concert in City Fields after the Mets and Dodgers game to launch a new footwear collection. Oftentimes for us, it's about the expression of the athlete or of the artist and that connection point back to the New Balance brand. We want all of our athletes, all of our artists that we partner with 
to have that fiercely independent mentality. So as much as they want to go against the grain, as much as they want to defy conformity, it, that, that's, that's essentially what we want to express to consumers across the world. And we believe that peers are actually the largest form of influencer. So if we continue to market our voice in an authentic manner, that's a reflection of our values and really do so in a way that's defying conformity, that's the greatest connection that we can have, we think. I'm going to ask you in just a second about that leveraging peers as the best influencers in reality. But the last thing I wanted to ask here on this idea of co-creationism is that you seem to do that in your productization when talking about, as you just said, uh, working with the Lindors and the Jaden Smiths of the world. How does that stretch into the actual content that's built around uh, the product? So every product that we create with one of our ambassadors or one of our branded partners, the, the individual or the team has an opportunity to see the creative, develop it with us, and really have their own personal voice and footprint integrated to, into the creative, whether it's a social piece, whether it's a piece of video content, or even literature. Uh, it's vital and super important to the New Balance brand that athletes, ambassadors, artists are able to express themselves and utilize New Balance as a means to express themselves with the 130 plus countries we have uh, reach in across the world. And allowing that candid storytelling, I have to imagine, is a part of New Balance uh, and your strategy being considered that of a challenger. I was reading uh, from the Challenger Project earlier in 2018 about how New Balance is is approaching the market with that mentality. I'm, I'm curious to ask a couple questions there because, uh, and then I'll loop it back to our our recent conversation here about influencers. Um, to start, you know, what does that mentality look like for New Balance? Does that change the storytelling at all? Does it change the medium of storytelling? Uh, I'd just like to get into your mind a little bit about what you mean when you say we're a challenger brand. That's a great question. And honestly, it can be very subjective at times. But the thing that we always tell ourselves internally is that our goal from a marketing standpoint, isn't to be the best footwear or apparel brand we can possibly be. It's to be the ultimate challenger brand. And for, first and foremost, that's a mindset, defy against conformity. And it really required a significant cultural mindset shift for the organization a couple of years ago. We really had to embrace the idea of discomfort as an organization and recognize that growth and comfort don't coexist. So we can't be afraid to take risk. Uh, we have to recognize that stagnation in our space equals death. And those are some pretty drastic declarations. But in order to move forward with this idea of being the ultimate challenger brand, we had to have motivation behind our action. What it really came down to was making declarations and sticking to those declarations. And with those declarations comes big, hairy, audacious goals. And for us, those goals are to be the world's best running brand and to be the undisputed top three athletic brand in the world. And with behemoths in our industry, like Nike and Adidas, it required focus, it required guts, and it really required a way of doing things differently. 
So as we discussed, it was a mindset shift. So what we did is we created a strategic investment strategy whereby 50% of all of our marketing dollars would go against proven tactics. 30% of our marketing dollars would go against tactics that were really about calculated risk. And then 20% of our dollars would go against experimental actions. So could totally fail, could be a huge success. Once one of our experimental actions proved to be successful, we would then move that into the 30% bucket as a calculated risk tactic. If that works two or three more times, we would then move that into a proven tactic where we spend 50% of our dollars. So what we've really worked on is creating this virtuous cycle of, of risk, calculated chance taking, and, and, and really making ourselves comfortable with discomfort and forcing growth. So it sounds like upwards of 50% of your marketing dollars would be used either for proven methods once coming out of the experimental bucket or in the experimental bucket. I have to imagine that involves some degree of going against the grain. If you're going to chip away at market share, if you're going to grow yourself into the brand that you aspire to be, uh, I'm wondering for what you've seen as a result of those tests, what has the strategic advantage been there? Uh, Or maybe what has the risk been? So it's funny because at this point, the risk is just failing. The, The risk is putting something out into the marketplace that never really caught. It didn't catch consumers' attention. It didn't get the views we wanted to. It didn't get the search that we wanted to. And I think we've come to the point where that's totally okay. And how we really measure success with these kinds of tactics and with this kind of calculated risk, a lot of it's through search. So Google, Amazon, Baidu Search Index. Did our content entice individuals to type New Balance in on their phone and learn more about the brand? Did it entice them to type in newbalance.com? Did it entice them to follow us on social media, et cetera? So these are are the ways that we kind of gauge our organization's uh, marketing. And it's really through communal growth as well as sales. And even with our 50% tactics that we know work, the most important thing for us there is to ensure that they're purposeful and that they are a reflection of what we believe as a brand and what we stand for as a brand. So it's really important that we just don't go through the motions with that 50% spend, but we declare uh, who we are, what we represent, why we love our product, and why our product is best for consumers across the world. That's a fantastic perspective, uh, and I, I'd love to know, um, on the other side, of course, some ideas may fail, some ideas may do great. I'm curious as to maybe an example or two of something that was in that 20%, um, which was you know in this challenger mindset, that ended up proving really successful to date and has ended up doing really well for you. I'd, I'd be happy to go through that. And one point that I just want to make first is that for us as leaders within the organization, it's not necessarily about what the story is but how it was created. And then this way you can create a habitual culture of taking risk. And one thing that we've really focused on is a distribution first mentality. So every single activation that we put forth, we know where it's gonna live in the universe. A couple of stories that have worked 
really well, especially within the past couple of months. One was at uh, New York City Fashion Week, where we used artificial intelligence uh, in Soho to identify individuals who were dressing differently than the trend. So what we did was for the two weeks leading up to New York City Fashion Week, we had cameras at the intersection between Grant and Mercer, and they were essentially amalgamating all of the colors, types of clothing, and trends that individuals were wearing. And on the first day of New York Fashion Week, we used artificial intelligence to identify individuals who bucked that trend, individuals who were wearing colors and clothing that was different um, than the trends that were identified over the course of the previous two weeks. And what we called that was real-time exception spotting, and it was all about identifying the outliers. And individuals who we viewed as spiritually independent, who were identified as outliers, got a free pair of new, free pair of shoes from New Balance. And Fast Company did a great article on that, as well as Bloomberg. And it was just like a simple, innovative tactic that we took a risk on that easily could have failed. But because it, it generated interest, because it used relevant artificial intelligence technology, we, we, we generated a significant amount of earned media from that during a relevant cultural moment at New York City Fashion Week. Another, we obviously know that esports is an emerging global trend across the world. Uh, we partnered with F Formula One in the summer to be their official title sponsor of their global esports circuit, which was just launching. Uh, Formula One had never done an esports circuit. New Balance had never participated in the esports space. And we essentially, our goal was to create hands-on consumer experiences through amazing events. So we partnered with one of our retailers, JD Sports, as well as Formula One, and put esports consoles, Formula One esports consoles, within our flagships, and had lines blocks long for for kids all over London, all over Shanghai to come in and play uh, Formula One esports within our flagship stores. All of those examples certainly seem to be great sources of authentic content. Really like that uh, one you brought up about Fashion Week going against the grain. That uh, that seems like a particularly uh, unique and individual and by extension authentic moment. And it has me curious because I've read a, a lot of media actually in the last month, which has taken the idea, and I'm going to go back to Influencer, but it, it almost like lessens the audience that qualifies somebody as an influencer and I've seen all these prefixes. I've seen micro-influencer. I've seen nano-influencer. Believe it or not, yesterday, for the first time in a news piece, I saw the word pico-influencer. People keep going with smaller and smaller audiences, and especially given that peer comment that you made a little while ago, I'm curious to just bounce off of you. At what point do you think it becomes natural to just look at everyday consumers and peers as this source of influence as opposed to saying something as a prefix plus influencer? I mean, I think peers are the most authentic form of influencer. And in, in terms of the way we speak about influencers now, we're big believers in that every trend creates its opposite. So right now where it's pay to play, where it's advocacy over authenticity, what we're really hoping for is a more humanized approach to influence. And to us, peer-to-peer -peer influence is the most human 
honest, truthful connection that you can have in the world of influencers. And and, and right now, the, the the transparency and the advocacy of of quote unquote influencers is, is starting to become old and consumers are seeing through it. And I think that's great news for us because we never believed in this platform and, and this tactic really in the first place. I think it's really interesting what you say about the trend always creating an opposite. It's something that New Balance has obviously leaned into for the last couple of years. And so it has me thinking about the the next couple of years. And so um, the next question I have or just thought of is, you know, what can we look forward to in 2019 or beyond from New Balance and the way that you continue to tap into peers and into everyday consumers as a way of furthering the brand? I think that's a great question. And it might seem otherwise traditional or a boring answer, but given the space that we play in, it's really important that we engage with consumers at the grassroots level. And we really have an intimate connection with consumers in the fields that we play. And we find events, whether they be music events or track and field events or or sporting events, to be an integral brand touch point to create that connection with the consumer. Through those events, we can create specific consumer call to action. And ultimately, through those events, we generate tons of user-generated content uh, in partnership with a New Balance brand. Being able to communicate, talk to consumers, listening to their ideas, having them understand the people behind the brand, the product behind the brand, we think is a way to create an authentic connection. And now with the rise of social media and digital, it's a way to have each event have much bigger impact than it already does on the ground. And speaking to the people, but also to the product, I'm curious to hear your take on what you're most excited about in the near future as to new products or new lines that New Balance may be delivering. I know we're well into basketball season now. We're entering the second half of, uh, of the world football season, but uh, curious as to your thoughts on that. Yes, we have an exciting announcement. New Balance is getting into basketball in 2019. Uh, we've signed uh, top five NBA player Kawhi Leonard. It's something that we're extremely excited about. Additionally, you may or may not have read in the New York Times, um, our other signing started as an intern today. Darius Baisley, a fiercely independent athlete who chose to forego college um, and go straight to the NBA, actually signed with New Balance a couple of months ago. And leading up to the NBA draft, he's going to be working as an intern here for three months. And he, he actually started today. He'll be working on uh, social media uh, for basketball specifically, basketball-specific marketing, as well as product creation. So, you know, when we, when we say that when you join New Balance as an athlete, you're joining the New Balance family, Darius and his family took that literally and accepted an internship with open arms with us for the, for the next three months, which is going to be awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I I, uh, I thank you for for bringing that to light for our for our listeners and folks who are listening. Uh, great example here, probably one of the best we've had as to how to make things as authentic as possible by by getting in touch directly and working directly with these folks, bringing them in to the family, as it were. And hey, starting off with an internship before your huge NBA career, uh, it sounds like a pretty great way to do it. Agreed. And you know, just to have. The energy of an 18-year-old in a corporate environment is 
is special and he has a lot of passion for the space and he was actually the first athlete that signed with us so really embodying that fiercely independent mindset and leading and enabled other individuals to have the confidence to sign with the brand like Kawhi Leonard so we're, we're super excited about our launch into basketball so one thing that we're doing to actually poke fun of influencers is to have satirical activations and we have a global partnership with the New York Mets and we collaborated with the Mets on glorifying the legend of Mr. Met as a sneakerhead influencer in New York. So we soft launched this prior to the holiday season, but New Balance and the New York Mets are going to be touting Mr. Met as the next big sneakerhead influencer in New York. Um, there's going to be Instagram stories. There's going to be activations on New Balance Instagram channels, as well as the Mets Instagram channels of Mr. Met going to sneaker boutiques and really showing up to spring training with the best New Balance sneakers available. So really using Mr. Met as a satire to poke fun of influencers and their, their, their rise over the course of the last couple of years. We think it's a fun activation and, and it's, a, it's, it's a tongue-in-cheek way to, uh, to make a statement on what we believe influencers to be in the industry. Yeah, that's that's a hilarious one. And uh, folks, you, you better check that out because, you know, who else do you want to take sneaker advice from than Mr. Matt himself? Uh, but that is that, <laughs> that's incredibly funny. I really uh, I really appreciate you sharing that one. And it's it's clear that uh, that what you guys are, are doing really runs the gambit um, from from the most authentic to the most satirical. Um, I'm really excited to see what you all have uh, what you all have planned. I guess one last question for you, Chris, because uh, I know that there are plenty of marketers and folks interested in the topic listening in here, but maybe not everybody has access to a top-level NBA athlete or Mr. Met showing off sneakers. And it leaves me curious, uh, for somebody who's just looking to get a little bit more authentic in their messaging, connect more with peers, things of that nature, given your experience at New Balance and your plans for the future, what advice might you give as a thought starter? I touched upon this a little bit earlier, but the most important thing is to ensure that your marketing is truly a reflection of your values. Be truthful in who you are, convey your brand's personality, but the most important thing really is to take risk. And the way that you can break through the noise, the way that you can connect with consumers is to be noticed. And with so much content out there today, it is vital that brands take risk. To do the same thing that worked last week, that may not work tomorrow. And with how fast the digital sphere is moving today, it's vital that you continue to move forward, that you don't fall into a state of stagnation, and that you make yourself uncomfortable. Uh, discomfort equals growth. And although difficult, uh, it's, it's vital to the success of, of brands. And, and, and leads, to, leads to the death of brands if, if you aren't comfortable with discomfort. And another thing too, is just to not take yourself so seriously. Uh, people want to know who a brand is. They, they wanna see the underhood of it, the, the transparency of each brand. And it, for us, it's very vital and important to make fun of ourselves and, and express who we are in fun, new and interesting ways. And whether you're using a multi-million dollar athlete or uh, a model, making sure that individuals who represent your brand are passionate about them, 
convey and portray the attitude that you believe is crucial. Uh, there, there's more information about brands out there than ever before, and having a strong element of transparency and candidness is only going to make your brand stronger. So you heard it there, folks. Stay true to your values, be independent, and have a laugh once in a while. It'll shine through more than you think. Uh, Chris Davis, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today. Really loved our conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Hopefully we'll talk again in the near future. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much once again to Chris Davis for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciated getting your insight on the multiple topics we ended up discussing. And to you, the listener, I hope you enjoyed it as well. And if you plan on listening through the rest of 2019, you can expect more interviews just like this, full of thought leadership and other advice on how to become more authentic in the way you create influence in your marketing, your messaging, and overall in your brand. If you'd like to catch up with us and see how we got to this point, I'd encourage you to listen to a few of the episodes from late last year, where we interviewed folks such as Peter Horst, the former CMO of Capital One in Hershey, Adam Grossman, the current CMO of the Boston Red Sox, Kathy Davis, the CMO of Feeding America, as well as a few other episodes with myself and Vivoom CEO, Catherine Hayes. Regardless of whether you're a new listener or not, we would love to hear your feedback. So if you could, leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to give us your thoughts on how we're doing so far. We really love that feedback. And you can also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Adam Connor. All right, I'll be back again in two weeks' time sharing another amazing story of how the world's top marketers and brands are generating authentic influence in their messaging and overall strategy. Until then, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.